0: Welcome to Give Him Hell Brigham. Jeff, what is the most underrated sitcom of all time and why is it The King of Queens? Is it The King of Queens? It's highly underrated, but is it The King of Queens? I don't know. I was thinking today, so we just got, after we moved, we bought all new bedroom furniture and things, and I put together some new nightstands and all this stuff, and I was reminded of a clip from King of Queens where he wanted a new nightstand, and so he, instead of a nightstand, he just put a mini fridge in his room. It's about bed height, like it's the same height. It's basically the same shape as a nightstand. Smart. but it holds all sorts of things in it and i was just realizing i regret not buying a mini fridge because i think a mini fridge may have actually been cheaper than the nightstand that i bought but kevin james is resourceful in one of his early stand-up routines i think that kind of like helped him get on the map a little bit so pre uh, obviously pre his relationship with adam sandler pre king of queens pre all of that stuff he did a Stand up bit. And one of the jokes, I remember him talking about how he used to be skinny and now he's fat, but there's benefits to being fat. Oh, yeah. Kevin James played D3 football. I didn't know that. Yep. He was a running back. Oh, well, there you go. So he talks about this. I used to be skinny. Now I'm fat. But being fat's not so bad. You don't have to iron anymore. And then he pushes his gut out and his shirt went from wrinkled to totally not wrinkled. And as a fat man, I've never related more. So I enjoy Kevin James. I don't know, man. King of Queens, it is highly underrated. I think it might be the most underrated simply because it doesn't get talked about and you really can't stream it anywhere but like CBS All Access. Like it's the only place you can, can get it. Which by the way, with your ac- or with your VIP membership to Cougar Sports Insider, CBS All Access is free. It's part of the complimentary package that we af- uh, we offer with our membership. So cool perk. You could watch King of Queens. Um, I don't know, man. I, st- I kind of think that society has forgotten how good Seinfeld is. And so that is my well, vote. But the thing is, everybody either like everyone is like worship Seinfeld or like people talk about Seinfeld. Like there are multiple Twitter accounts with millions of followers dedicated to rehashing Seinfeld jokes and bringing them up and like quotes of the I day know. or whatever. Nobody's doing that for old Doug Heffernan no, they're not, but Seinfeld is better than King of Queens. And so there's like a relative scale, right? That, okay, yes, King of Queens is not talked about as much, but is it is the is the total amount of underratedness equivalent to the underratedness of Seinfeld? Because Seinfeld is talked about, but it's also a much better show. So is it talked about? is the the amount that Seinfeld is talked about proportionate to how much better? Seinfeld is the King of Queens. And I don't think that it is. I don't think Seinfeld gets talked about enough. Okay. I can accept that, but your pivot or you're bringing up the point of talking about value and how much it gets talked about. Kind of it reminds me of a conversation that occurred on the Cougar sports insider board this week of people talking about Whataburger and five guys and mm-hmm. in and out. This was and an important conversation. It is an important conversation. It happens all the time. And I just want to go on the record yet again that I think comparing Five Guys to In-N-Out is one of the stupidest things I on agree. the planet. It's I a completely... One of them is an actual fast food restaurant with a drive through. The other, you got to right. park and go inside. One of them, you can get a combo meal with a milkshake for like $4.25. And the other, you basically have to go... F- take out a second mortgage on your house to be able to afford to feed your family there to buy it's four burgers so and fries. expensive. Like five guys is so expensive. And so I expect a better hamburger. If I'm like, if one is a combo for $4.50 and the other it's $14 to get a burger, fries and a drink, then right. those should not be compared because those are completely different things. That's like saying like, oh yeah, I have a Toyota Camry And I'm comparing it to like a Porsche 911. Like, well, of course the Porsche is a thing, but how many normal people are you going to do that? Like you would never compare those two cars because they have different things. They're trying to be different things and one costs four times as much as the other one. Yeah, I'll agree with that. My, My biggest takeaway from that thread, and I think it was the only comment that I made on that thread. And I will go to my grave that the best cheeseburger for value you know if value is a metric in any way it doesn't even have to be the primary metric if value is a metric in your best fast food burger mcdonald's wins every time i would say mcdonald's is McDonald's is good at being a $1 thing, but it is not a good burger. It's like, I don't like McDonald's it's fine, to me. Yeah, it's, it's to a me, fine it's burger. Not a, it's not a burger to me. It's like McDonald's is its own thing. It's like the same way I wouldn't consider Taco Bell Mexican <laughs> food. It's just, it's Taco Bell. Like it is its, its own type if, of food. If it's, if it's not a burger, I don't know what it is. It's just it's, McDonald's. It's, it's a dollar for their single cheeseburger and you'll never get it and go, wow, this is great. But you'll never eat it and go, oh, how awful! Like you'll always be satisfied, and it costs you a buck. Anything, anytime you have a conversation about fast food burgers, and value is an all-in scale, McDonald's wins one hundred percent of the time. Right. Well, I think anytime you have any conversation about anything, it has to be value. Like it's the cost benefit of it all, and what you're willing to pay. But I think with the in terms of just straight value burger. And I don't know if all locations did this, but when I was living in South Carolina, at the Culver's buyer house on Monday night. So we did this like almost every week for FHE. You can get a double cheeseburger from Culver's for $2.50 every Monday night. And that Culver's, was pretty high value to me. Culver's is good. And I just, they're, I'm up here. I'm up North. I'm a Davis County, Utah guy. Culver's has been around like, I've known about Culvers, but there just aren't very many Culvers up here. So, I, while I have been to Culvers, you know, many times, I don't feel like I can talk about Culvers in context of this conversation because I'm just not informed enough. Like, Jack in the Box, I go to Jack in the Box every time I'm driving through Idaho Falls or St. George. I love Jack in the Box. I love getting like a bunch of Jack in the Box tacos. When I'm on my way back from Vegas at two o'clock in the morning, I think it's great, but I don't get to go to Jack in the Box regularly enough that I can feel like I'm an informed voter when it comes to talking about Jack in the Box. That's how I am with Culver's. I've been, I like it. They have some great deals, but I just haven't been regularly enough that I can be informed in my opinion. You know, I respect somebody who knows when it's, you know, some who knows and can acknowledge that they are not where they need to be and does not feel the need to have an opinion on everything. But well, after that's our mean, episode you know who last needs, week- You know who needs to know, learn that lesson? is. I Sor- can think of Petro. 538 people that are currently employed in Washington, D.C., amongst well, others. <laughs> them, for sure. No, Soren Petro. I don't remember what paper he writes for. I think he's in Oklahoma. I don't remember. But he has routinely voted BYU. He is- like five or six spots below their actual ranking in the AP poll every week. In fact, it wasn't until like two weeks ago that he had them ranked at all. He was not ranking BYU up until Houston. And it's one thing to not rank BYU, right. To say that, Hey, their schedule has sucked. And that's why we're not ranking them. Like, fine. I can get on board with that, you know, with that argument. But when he does rank teams like coastal, And he ranks teams like SMU. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like, what is so different about the schedules here? And so Soren Petro, I don't know. Maybe he needs to have his AP voting rights taken away from him. I think they should clear it out. Because, I mean, you got to figure it out. Like, there needs to be some type of, I mean, obviously, you don't want to shoehorn people. But if you're, like, way, like, three multiple standard deviations away from the average rank for somebody then, and it's consistent over a whole season, then you got to have some things questioned, but I do want to, after you let me down on, well, after the A&W buy me my house, let me down on those fries. I do want to say and tell all our voters that I did try three of the four flavors of the Papadilla, and they were all fantastic. And that is a great value for $6. So, that, is, that is the best $6 pizza calzone quesadilla thing that you're going to get. So Papa John's, so maybe not Papa John's specifically because that's a whole mess, but Papa John's, the company, if you would like to sponsor us to have this be the official non-Louisville related podcast related yeah. to hyping the Papadia. We are willing to do that for you. Um, but we do- I, I think we we need to get comfortable with ourselves here, Garrett. We've talked about how we don't want this to be an, an ad-ridden show. And I still stand by that. We don't want this to be, you know, we just are inundating people with ads. But I think I'm ready to sell out. I just, I think I am. I made, and this is why, let me tell you why. I made a sarcastic tweet this morning about how sometimes I just will pop in to Venmo, open up the Venmo app, and see if anybody has sent me money. And I have never had that happen. Nobody's randomly sent me money. So I let my Twitter followers know that I was disappointed that they had not sent me money. Well, after that tweet, I've had people sarcastically sending me money throughout the day. And I think it's hilarious. And I have now made $23.10. That is $23 and 10 cents more than we've ever made on this podcast. I think I'm ready to sell out. I I, I think I'm there. So if you know of somebody who has a company that really fits what we have going on here, like we're not just going to advertise anybody. Like there, there has to be some sort of a, I don't know, some sort of a a personal connection maybe, or it's got to be a company that just really jives with where we're going and who we are. You know, like if if Minky Couture comes and says, hey, we want to sponsor. No, like we're not going to do a Minky Couture ad. That's not what this is about. But if uh, a branding iron company wants to come and say, hey, we do customized branding irons, then yeah, we're going to talk about customized branding irons. Or anything related to grilling or yeah. grill accessories. Right. Not to be confused with propane or propane accessories because we don't cook with that. But uh, I have used my propane grill in the last, like, like three or four times in the last two weeks. I mean, we use it in It's the cold. cold outside, man. It's just so fast. It's true. It's cold outside and it is fast. Well, it's not cold outside here, but it's a nice 75 degrees and wonderful. Oh, um, no, man. It was 12, 12 degrees when I woke up the other day. That's a big no for me. Um, So, yes, if you are interested in being a sponsor, reach out to us. Let's talk. We can find some type of thing. We're not going to, you know, we can share with you some of our listenership numbers. We are growing rapidly and have settled into a very respectable amount of listenership. And we're happy to bring you on, uh, you know, if you want to do some type of affiliate thing to where you don't have to put any money up front as a trial run just to see what it brings your business, we can work something like that out too. Um, So moving on from that, we do have our Hellion of the Week. And our Hellion of the Week is the McCluskey family. So they reached a settlement this week with the University of Utah and their police department. And it was something to the tune of $14.5 million, I believe. But they are not taking all the money. They are not you know, parading around, living a lavish lifestyle. They are taking all of the money and donating it to the Lauren McCluskey Foundation um, to help bring more campus security to schools across the country. And that is awesome. Yeah, awesome. Just a horrific story that we're not – if you're listening to this show, you've heard of Lauren McCluskey and that – awful awful tragedy that happened to her you've heard about what her parents have done in you know kind of the aftermath of it all and how they've responded which uh i i can't wrap my head around how professional and put together and and awesome they have handled the entire situation uh even as different things have been uncovered along the way and different fail points along the way the McCluskeys have been nothing but stand-up people throughout the entire time so it does not surprise me in the least that they would get a huge settlement, and then continue to be stand-up people. Like this, just matches their track record throughout this entire ordeal. So, really awesome to them or for them, uh, and it'll be really awesome. I think the benefits of of that money that will go a long ways. That's something that's needed, and that's exciting. That's really awesome. Man, um, so in a brighter. Uh, view in terms of BYU athletics and not so grim coming from our Hellion section of the show. Uh I think the biggest news that shocked everyone in Utah today was that Ryan Smith, the CEO of Qualtrics is the new majority owner of um the Jazz. The, of the Jazz and he is the majority owner of the Jazz is also rumored to be looking into purchasing RSL as well along with the Jazz purchase he also is taking over 1280 The Zone and um, the he will be the manager of the Salt Lake Bees. Well, I believe the Millers are still going to own it. I'll show how that's working out. And then also getting the Salt Lake Stars. So he's- if you're, I, just before you go on, why? Why the Bees? I don't understand that. If they're going to continue to own the Bees, why would you take over the management of the Bees? It doesn't I mean- make sense to me. At first, I don't even know what that means. I don't know. Why would I want a minor league baseball team if I don't own it? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's probably obviously something stipulated in the sale, but I don't know why the Millers would want to hold on to the Bs if they're not going to be involved in the Um, day-to-day. But some people have asked, like, what does this change for BYU? Because obviously Ryan Smith is one of BYU's biggest donors, and you know, notably also he is in the same ward as Mark Pope. And – They are very good friends. Obviously, he is very good friends with Kalani Satake. And so, you know, people ask, like, what is that going to change for BYU? And I don't think it changes a thing. I think, if anything, once he finally steps away from Qualtrics, which they are getting ready to go through their IPO. um, And so, at some point in the next maybe two years, two to three years, there will be, they will go public and he will step away from being the CEO of Qualtrics. And I think he is ready to focus on his passions and that will be running and managing sports teams and dealing with charity work and his five for the fight charity foundation, which is doing great work on raising money for cancer research and being involved with BYU athletics. Like he is a BYU guy through and through and is, you know, the most valuable donor that BYU has. And I think he has a very good working relationship with the athletic department. And, you know, from what we have heard, there are, you know, potential things in the works and like, it's not, and we want to dispel the myth and we've said this over and over again on the show that, you know, that the athletic department is hard to work with or you can't, you know, do things or whatever. You can't just say, Oh, I want to do this, which, I mean, there may be things like if you come up and say, Oh, I want to buy this video board, I want to use this company and put it here and do this, whatever. It's like, you know, maybe not being that specific, but there will be conversations about, okay, like, what can we do? Like, yes, we want to do this, but we have other considerations taken, but they're not going to say, you know, oh, you can't, you know, you, you have no say in it, right? Like it's, we, I signed up after talking again with the new director um, or vice director of the Cougar Club about possible benefits for out-of-state members. I signed up again as a Cougar Club member, um, you know, to put my money where mouth is on the show that it's, they are changing things and coming up with good benefits. And he reiterated again that it's, and I saw it on the form that you can say where you want your Cougar Club donation to go. And they are, you know, maybe in the past, things were different, but I think the athletic department now, since especially since the pocketbooks were opened up a little bit to get Jeff Grimes on board and bring his staff in, that things are you know there are people who are wanting to donate and they are wanting to do things but i think the important thing from the BYU side is that they want to work together on finding a place to go and not you know have the donor be the project manager and dictate right. everything of like how everything is going to go and rather just you know working on a general plan of what it's going to go for and this, that, or whatever. Cause I mean, if, if BYU didn't want things like what they got a new baseball field because someone just donated a million dollars and said, Hey, I want to put a new field in is a new field. Something you need. Yes, we need that. Okay. Put it in. It was earmarked for the field. It was taken care of. It was done. It will be that kind of thing. Not, Oh, I want to put it in. And I think we should use this company because I like this brand of turf and we're going to do this. And, you know, it's, they're not going to let a donor micromanage the situation, but overall, um, it's, I think things are changing and I think he will be very, be working very closely with BYU in the future, especially as he focuses his time away from his career and more to just being able to live out his passions because he's never going to need to worry about money forever. Right. I mean, and that's, to me, that is the most important thing about Ryan Smith is that he bought the jazz for $1.6 billion. And that is, only half of the payday that he got when the SAP deal happened with Quality. And, he, and he's not gonna I'm sure that's not cash. That's gonna be paid out over some amount of yeah. No, absolutely. Dude. I think for uh, fortune, fortune.com, you know, there's been a lot of articles now uh about Ryan Smith today. They're going out they're estimating his personal net worth at like 1.3, 1.4 billion dollars. But you you've talked about it already that Um, I, I still like the, the, how this happened, that SAP bought Qualtrics, but a couple of years later, they're still operating independent of each other to the point that Qualtrics is going to go public without the SAP. I mean, there's just some confusing lines there to me. He's going to get another grundle of cash when that happens. Like the guy's got money that he doesn't know what to do with. And so Um, he bought the jazz, but he could have bought the jazz like three times and nobody would have really batted an eye. Like he could have spent that much money and been like, "Cool." Yeah, uh, and apparently it's you know he has more because if he's looking at buying, you know, Delo Hansen is selling RSL, and if he's looking at buying them as well. Um, but I just want to point out a Utahism that you said in that thing. Oh no, Grundle doesn't mean what you. I think you think it means. I don't know means what it means here that's very true but it like it is the idea of the of language in general not just to communicate like you knew what i said it's well i knew what you said but if we have out of state listeners they may be very very confused by that now i have to look it up don't say it on air this is a family oh. show <laughs> This is, this is dumb. Everybody knows what it means. I know. If we have to, if we have to go to the urban dictionary, come on. Like, um, I feel like I'm a pretty rated R person most of the time. If I and search it, never... the first result is from manscaped.com. So yeah, come on. But the, yeah, it's, I don't, I'm not worried at all about. Ryan Smith and his relationship with BYU and they're not being money left or what he's going to want to do or not want to do for BYU. And I think BYU's facilities, everyone knows they are dated. And I think the university for years has been working on a plan of getting, you know, the Marriott Center renovated, which you've already seen that kind of done in stages with the new scoreboard and the new, obviously the court gets replaced regularly and the new seats. Uh, Lavelle Edwards stadium is due for renovation as well. And could use some updating. And I think, you know, he is going to be an integral part of that. I think everybody just needs to mentally prepare themselves. That football will be played at Qualtrics stadium. Basketball will be played at the Smith center and the athletes will train at the Ashley athletic foundation or the Ashley athletic facilities. Like it's just going to happen. And frankly, I'm okay with that. the only thing that I would like more is if we also added an additional Vivint wing. I mean, I don't care. I don't care where the money comes from and I don't care what we have to, to call these buildings. People hang on to that. Like I, I get it. Lavelle deserved to uh, have his name on the stadium. I, I wholeheartedly understand that, but Lavelle, and I say this with, As much respect as I possibly can. Lavelle is not at a point that he cares what the stadium is named today. And if taking his name off the stadium results in tens of millions of dollars for the program that he built, I have a hunch that Lavelle would rather see his legacy continue with a strong football team than see a bad BYU team struggling to keep up in the arms race of college football playing in a stadium with his name on it so I am and I I, maybe it's because we're younger and I'm assuming you agree with me I don't really know but maybe it's because we're younger and I really wasn't around in the heyday of Lavelle so I don't have some of the nostalgia but to me he's passed and now it's time to, okay, let's do what's best for the program. I think that's probably an unpopular opinion, but that is my my official opinion on the matter of, I'm ready to sell out this podcast. I'm also ready to sell out the Marriott Center. Like, it's been a long time. Whatever donation they gave, however many years ago, it's time to either re-donate Marriott family or we're going to rename the Marriott Center. It's time for Lavelle Edwards Stadium to be called the Vivint smart home stadium. You know, we've got the arena. We we need the stadium name, the the field after him.
1: Yeah. Well, and
0: even if you don't name anything after him, nobody's ever going to remove Lavelle from his rightful spot on BYU's Mount Rushmore. And frankly, if you get enough money by renaming everything after Qualtrics stuff, you could actually build a Mount Rushmore of BYU legends and put it just in that empty lot that's behind the, the Utah County Credit Union and north of the stadium, that's a perfect spot for a BYU Mount Rushmore. And we put Lavelle there, and that becomes what matters. And if Ryan Smith wants to donate a few million bucks, which is literally pocket change to him, to make that happen, then I think that BYU should accommodate. I'm, I'm at that point in my life that it's, you know, I, I, I love the – I love the nostalgia. I love the homage that we pay to Lavelle Edwards, the man who started it all. But I'm ready to sell out a little bit so that we can continue to have it. It's one thing to start it in the 70s and 80s, but if it dies in 2020s, then what was the point? Amen. Um, But back to the Cougar Club and all of this donation. Yes, whatever the pocket changes to Ryan Smith, we also care, and the Cougar Club also cares about the your pocket change and being able to get whatever donation you feel comfortable. And I had a similar conversation to what we talked about last week that you had um, this week, and we shared ideas, and we I was informed of some things that are in the works and things that are coming, and they are trying very hard to make it. So the menu of benefits is big enough and a big, broad enough tent that everybody will find something of value and want to join, even if it's just for 10 bucks a month. And they're working on especially the money left on the table with out-of-state grads or out-of-state fans who may not care as much about the season ticket benefit. And there's a lot of cool things coming. Um, We did see this week, you know, they did the, I think they called it the Cougar Club Chalk Talk where they met and bought some fans lunch and they did a drawing. That was actually, that was initially your idea that you brought up. They're doing it again this week. And Brian Keel has jumped on and said, Hey, I want to be involved. I love that this idea is taking off. So that's what I, yeah, that was one of the things I talked. I mean, I don't know if they, when they talked to Brian, but on Monday when I had my conversation with them, I suggested, I was like, you know, get former players coming in there too. And that's a great thing. And you can put it on zoom or different things. Like we talked about it. But that was something that came out of your conversation when you met and had breakfast with them last Tuesday or Wednesday, was Mm -hmm. it? And they said, oh, no, we can do that. And then they had it ready to go by this week on Monday, and now they're continuing to do it again. Uh, So, you know, they are trying. If you have ideas, please send them to us, send them to the Cougar Club. They're very receptive. And, you know, they are wanting to hear, especially from out-of-state fans, what benefit gives you you know would give you enough to want to donate to out along with the good feelings of supporting the program um so we have both joined the cougar club and you should too um but we had some other news Uh, i i well we do i pff byu football just retweeted this and this is maybe the weirdest stat and i don't know what to make of this highest graded quarterback by quarter spencer rattler first Well, I guess it's the first quarter. Trevor Lawrence is the highest graded in the second quarter. Zach Wilson is the highest graded in the third quarter. And Sam Howell is the highest graded in the fourth quarter. I'm trying to understand why I care. What this means is that when people say we are coaching staff is horrible at making in-game adjustments. (laughs) Right. That that is not true because. It's not true. Zach Wilson is playing better than any other quarterback in the country in the third quarter of games, and they're coming out of halftime and playing extremely well. And then in the fourth quarter, he hands the ball off a couple times and maybe has one incomplete pass before he sits on the bench. Interesting. It's very interesting. I don't know what the stat means, but yes, you're right. I mean, great. Uh, I'm glad. I guess I would rather be the third quarter than the second quarter guy. Like I don't know why I would care to. Be the highest graded person right before halftime, but I'm, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, we do have some news, some recruiting news that is really it's like a blast from the past and a potential look into the future. Siaki Ika, the football player formerly known as Apu Ika, out of East High School, that signed with well, he committed to BYU in like 2016, uh, backed off that pledge as BYU was in the middle of their 2017 abysmal season. And ended up going to LSU where he played as a true freshman uh, was on the national championship team last year and has been a rotation piece this year, but they, the LSU, changed coordinators and changed their defensive front. And that has ultimately led to a little bit less playing time for Ica. So he announced today, or I guess Blair Angulo broke the story uh, that Ica had entered, hadn't yet, but will, would be entering the transfer portal. So Ica is now in the portal And obviously that's going to, you know, raise the eyebrows of BYU fans. Ika has been very outspoken about his affinity towards BYU, even while being a player at LSU, he considers himself a BYU fan. Um, You know, he tweets with the hashtag go Cougars. And when he does it with the G-E-A-U-X, I appreciate it so much more than when Justin Anderson did it because that was a player, Justin Anderson, for those of you who don't remember, was the recruiting coordinator who replaced Jeff Martson And he came from, <clears throat> excuse me, he came from a, a smaller school in Louisiana and when he, when he took the job at BYU and he brought in this go Cougars hashtag of G-E-A-U-X Cougars. And it was like, dude, you don't, nobody knows where you came from. Like, this is weird. So I thought it was strange, but Ika plays for LSU and he does the same thing. And it feels like he still loves BYU. He has a phenomenal relationship with Kalani Stokke and really the entire coaching staff, Elisa Tuiaki. In fact, uh, they went to, I'm trying to remember where it was, but it was a church-related function. After he had already committed to LSU, after he had long eliminated BYU, Uh, Kalani and Tuiaki and I think coach Lamb showed up at a church function to support uh, Siaki Ika. Uh, There's a very, very strong relationship there. And so obviously the question is going to come up of, well, is he going to come to BYU? The need is there, right? Kairos Tonga is going to leave the program after this year and and Ika would come in and play exactly the same role. Like normally when you're recruiting somebody, you have to kind of sell them on what the role could be, how they think they could utilize somebody in the, in the offense or in the defense. And you have to kind of paint a picture. It's going to be really easy to sell Ika on what his role would be. You turn on any game and say, watch 95. And that's what we think you can do. And that's, that's exactly what the role would be. And so there's BYU checks a lot of boxes. Now here's the, the, I guess the caution in all of this is I think there's a handful of schools to check a lot of boxes Ika's very very good Utah was right down the street like he grew up in, you know he's a Glendale guy went to East High School uh, he is very very familiar with Utah Sione Puha is the uh, defensive line coach up at the U and Sione Puha played in the NFL for a long time has an excellent relationship as well with with Apu or with uh, Siaki Ika so there's going to be a lot of Connections there. There's going to be a lot of reason that he should go to Utah. Uh, Oregon was I if if Utah wasn't the runner-up behind LSU, it was Oregon in 2017 when he committed. And he could very easily go join Mario Cristobal and, you know, potentially look to get a rematch with LSU in the college football playoff one day. Uh Ica's gonna have no shortage of options, but in talking with people today, it sounds like BYU feels confident in their case they've already reached out and they're already going to make their case you know and sell what they have to sell and that's really all that you can ask for uh if Ika doesn't come I'm not going to sit here and say who's the favorite who's not because frankly I don't think that we know yet um he just officially hit the portal today but it's been really all week that he's been, this has been out there and kind of lurking. So he's certainly reached out to schools and schools have put out their feelers with family members or whatever, as they've heard the rumors. Uh, but I still don't think we really know a favorite. I think we could say Utah is right there. I think Oregon is right there. I think BYU is in the mix. There's a lot of schools that can sell a lot of good things. And if you're BYU, if well, if you're a BYU fan, all you can really hope for at this point is that, hey, uh, their pitch, BYU checks a lot of boxes and the coaches are doing everything they can to sell him on those, on that pitch, to sell him on those boxes. And at this point, if he decides that maybe he doesn't want the honor code, I don't know, then there's not anything that anybody can do about that. If he decides that, Hey, I want to play big time football. And I just don't think that, you know, the P five status, the lack of P five status rather just doesn't quite get me to the big time that I think I should be at. Well, there's nothing that BYU can do about that. Obviously, as a BYU fan, you want Ika to come to Provo because he's a perfect fit to replace Tonga next year. But all that you can ask for is that BYU is doing everything they can. And I can say with absolute certainty that they are, that they've already been in contact with, or they've already expressed interest, whatever that means, right? Whether they've actually talked to him or if they are just talking to family members like everybody does until somebody is officially on the portal, whatever it is, BYU is very interested. And they have a very compelling case to make. And at this point, it's it's kind of up to Eka. I trust Jason Ayu, and Jack DeMooney fully with this. And it's whatever the sell is, and it will be made and it will be done well. And if he decides to go somewhere else, he decides to go somewhere else. He needs to decide and do obviously what's best for him and his family um, because he is a legitimate NFL talent. But he, you know, it's, BYU will do everything they can, and I think there is still a good shot. I think at this point I would be very surprised if he goes anywhere. It will be one of Utah, Oregon, or BYU is my hunch. Yeah. 98%. That's, I think, is what's going to happen. Um, I think so as well. Um, and, and, and frankly, I think that makes the most sense. Now, I will say, I mean, I've reached out to a handful of people today and there's some people who are are big Kalani fans, big BYU fans that are very, very, very close to to, to Siaki Ika that have been in his ear about BYU already. I mean, there's a lot of things going for BYU, but and that's why no matter where he goes or no matter what happens, at this point, I feel like there's nothing BYU can do, nothing more that BYU can do than what they've already got in the works. They're going to show him the most love. I wrote a piece already today about how he's the top recruiting target, and I feel like that's true. And there's kind of a misconception with recruiting that, well, if you, if the player doesn't sign with you in the end, then you fail. I mean, I guess, right? I don't think it's that linear. I don't think it's that black and white. Um, yes, if he signs with somebody else, that's a bummer but if BYU did everything right and the kid just chose somewhere else, like there's not more, like what more could BYU have done? And I just, I think that's the scenario here. I have the utmost confidence that the BYU is going to do everything they can and we'll we'll kind of see where the chips fall at that point. Agreed. Um, So that is something to keep an eye on. I don't imagine it will take a long time. I think over the next probably week or so, things will clear up. And obviously if we hear things they will likely be posted on um, on Cougar Sports Insider, you'll you know you'll start seeing crystal balls coming in from different people on 24/7. Once he ends up on the transfer portal page, there. Um, but you were sick over the weekend, and we didn't get to do our Texas State recap. So let's spend a few minutes talking about the game against the Bobcats. And the first thing that comes to my mind with that game is right before halftime when Zach Wilson threw that touchdown to Dax Milne. From outside the far hash, all the way across his body to the like three yard line corner of the end zone to Dax Milne, that was the throw. You know, a couple weeks ago you said like there was like forty three percent chance that Zach Wilson would leave, and I said I think it's fifty seven. That throw I think bumps it up to about like seventy five percent. Yeah, I think that that, that is the throw. That is the throw, and that anybody who watched that, if you were iffy on whether he is ready to go or whether he can make every throw or not. Like if you don't see the ease and that arm strength, you know, he didn't wind up and have to do like a huge, goof, like, I a mean, it was against his body and like hops, like he a, didn't even really get to follow through. Like the pressure was right on him yeah. and he made that throw look easy. Yeah. There are not many people who can make that throw. And that is the type of throw that is absolutely, you know, people are salivating over and it's not there, just that there he, are current he, NFL quarterbacks who cannot make that throw. No, like probably I would venture to say maybe a th- at least a third of NFL starting quarterbacks could not make that throw just because they do not I don't, don't, I don't think Drew Brees can make that throw today. <laughs> Drew Brees struggles making a lot of throws. But, <laughs> he does but, but I mean like there's still the, like that throw is not is not normal. It's not like just that's not an throw. insane throw it's not just that one. It's that he also has the touch. Like when you see him do a quick yeah. dump, like put it over alignment's head right into, you know, Mason wakes hands or his like first Snow's hand or his like- first touchdown pass to Isaac Rex against, I can't even remember who it was. UTSA maybe. Uh, no, it was that. Who, who was the, who was the first home game? I'm, I'm drawn. I'm Troy. blank. But Troy. The first touchdown pass to, to Isaac Rex against Troy. Uh, that he just it's a beautiful touch throw that just barely I think it might even scrape the fingertips of a, a linebacker trying to break up the pass is the perfect touch throw and then when you combine that with the touchdown against Troy to Gunnar Romney where he threw it on a line 30 yards across the field to the far hash for an easy touchdown or when he throws it 65 yards in the air to Dax mill i mean the dude's got everything he's got a touch on the throw against houston last week right of like the final one in the back of the end zone where there is literally like a two-foot window for that ball to go so it's he can make every throw he knows he can make every throw and this we have four possibly five more games to watch zach wilson in provo and then enjoy enjoy it it, folks because that's it. it It's fun as hell to watch. Um, that's it. That's all that there is. I mean, and that really is my Texas state recap. There's not anything else about that game that I really care to talk about. That's part of why we didn't do a post game show. That game was garbage. We're going to talk about what BYU did. There is, I I, 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 I know what you're wanting to say. We are going to talk about the defense because it needs to be talked about, but I don't want to talk about it necessarily in the context of like Texas State recap, because this is more of a philosophical conversation yes. about Elisa Tuyaki as a whole. Yes. And so the Texas State game was awful, like Texas State is bad. We're going to talk about some of the things they did that gave them some success in a minute, but they were bad now. I'm going to go ahead and just make the executive decision, Garrett, really quick, that I'm going to cover our Western Kentucky preview right now. Okay. Before we jump back into the Eliza Tuyaki conversation, Western Kentucky is worse than Texas State. This game is bad. If, if Western Kentucky lines up against North Alabama, I think North Alabama beats the Hilltoppers by two touchdowns. It's, they are like, imagine playing BYU this year, playing 2017 BYU. Their offense is abysmal. They cannot score points. They cannot move the ball. They have an okay defense that looks worse just because they get absolutely zero help. And like 2017 BYU, Western Kentucky won nine and four last year, like 2016 BYU did. So a lot of similarities There, Um, in terms of scheme, what you're going to see, Tyson Hilton, the younger brother of USC coach Clay Hilton, who in Tyson came from USC as a coordinator there to Western Kentucky, it's going to be, you know, in a similar, obviously not the airway that they're running, but if you, it's going to be Sam Darnold USC era football in terms of scheme. It's very, I mean, kind of similar to what we saw out of. It's that trying, West Coast feel a little bit, but a yeah. little bit, it's like a spready West Coast. Right. And so it's nothing fancy. It's nothing that they've never seen before. It's, you know, and they are just a bad team. The one thing that they do have is their offensive line is pretty good. Like they, if you look at their f- six top offensive players in PFF, are their starting five offensive linemen and their running back. And the, Offensive linemen are all like, they are decent. They're better at pass blocking than run blocking. So that will be a test in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. That is their strength, but they don't have great receivers who are going to get open. Like it's, they are going to struggle. This is everything that you guys need to know about Western Kentucky. They played against powerhouse Chattanooga last week, and they should have lost that game. And it is one of the weirdest rules of college football that is the only reason they did not lose that game. So after mounting a comeback, the Hilltoppers took the lead in the fourth quarter, 13 to 10, with about two minutes left, a minute and a half left. And they kicked it off, and Chattanooga ran the kick back for a touchdown. That would have been the end of the game because Western Kentucky could not move the ball. It was called back because of not a penalty, but because the ref saw a receiver, I guess a member of the kick return team who did not receive the ball call for a fair catch, which I didn't know that was a rule. We had to talk about that before the show that anybody could call a fair catch. So now I know, but that is the only reason that the play got called back that's the only reason that western kentucky won that game they should have lost to chattanooga and i'll be honest with you garrett i didn't know that chattanooga had a football team they're an fcs team i think yeah they're in i the mean I, ohio valley conference i believe yeah i i, I mean and i get it I, I understand they're an fcs i didn't know that that i feel like i know fcs football fairly well i didn't know that chattanooga was even a team that is so, where terrell owens played that's the only reason it, i know that's who Western Kentucky should have lost to. or who that's where Terrell Owens played in college. That's the only reason I've heard of Chattanooga. Oh, well, I had no idea. So anyway, Chattanooga, that's who they lost to, or well, I'm going to say lost to because they should have, even though the official scoreboard says they did not, but those are my thoughts. So when it comes to Western Kentucky, I am a hundred percent moved on. To Boise State and I have been for like two weeks I hope the team is not because trap games do happen so I mean there's obviously always the potential because even though they are a very very bad team they are still an FBS team and they still have some talent and they can still beat you if you play yeah. horrible and they play oh, well yeah. so you can't let the trap game happen and look totally ahead to Boise but it's you know this is they are not a good team so with that, super cool buddy okay shut the door. Oh, I'm not on mute. That's my son, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He my had to son. show him some toys. Yeah, look, this is we this had an not, we had an interruption before we started recording when my daughter came in. Yeah, we did. And you know, so. I thought I was on mute. Apparently I unmuted myself to have a conversation with uh, with my son. But again, I wanna reemphasize I made more money off of a sarcastic tweet and people sarcastically Venmoing money than we've ever made on this podcast. So a quick conversation between me and my son, I don't feel bad. I don't no. feel bad about it. No. You have to be a father first, right? Like it's right. And you guys all get to see that in real time that I was a father first. I mean, I quickly shoot him out of the room. So maybe I wasn't the best father, but I was a father and therefore checked the box. You acknowledged that he was there and needed to show uh-huh. you his Woody toy and you can go right. watch toy story with him later. Exactly. Um, so yeah, Western Kentucky, not a good team, but let's talk about defense. Cause I've had some, yeah, I have some thoughts and I don't want to hear your thoughts. You start. So I've been a defender of Elisa Tuiaki, not in that, like, I don't think he is Brent Venables. And I think he will tell you he's not Brent Venables either. Like it's, he knows, I think mean, all the coaches know where they're good and where they're bad and when they're just okay. Um, But he gets a lot of flack and it's not very deserved, especially, I mean, like last year we acknowledged K the defense took a huge step back and was not great. They were very average. But three out of the four years he's been in Provo, they've had a top 40 defense like top 30, couple years, top 40 the third year and then you know taking a step back and then the defense is very good this year, even though people want to slam, right? Slam the defense, they're still very good. And you look at SP numbers, they SP plus numbers they're still they're very good defense. And so I think a lot of people too, especially like the opening drive of the game were like, oh my gosh, like this is like the defense is the same thing. We make every quarterback look great. They're just marching down the field. We're looking ahead at this game. We weren't prepared. Like people freaking out over the first drive of the game when it was something that Texas State had never run before at all the entire season. And they ran the Daffy Duck formation, you know, put, splitting your tackles out wide with the receivers and, you know, getting out there. And it's like you'd never seen that before. And BYU came out, you know, like Kalani said against Houston, we want to play more man and want to bring more pressure. And that's kind of what we need to do going forward. And people got excited about it, but I don't think people notice because everything about a production is geared towards offense. You see the offense, you see the offensive line, you see the ball, you can't even see the receivers. If they're more than like five yards downfield, you can't see what the defense is doing and they follow the ball and everything you see is just on the offense. And so I don't think because you can't really see on most plays that, in the middle of that drive after like they got one first down and a couple more plays that they switched from playing man because some players were getting lost and getting confused about who to cover and who had who and what their assignment was to playing his own. And then they, at the end of that drive, they got them to a third and 15. And then eventually they, on that third and 15 on kind of a broken play scramble someone abandoned their zone. And so there was a mistake and left that guy open and he in the end zone, eh, but it, I mean, it was be. off a tip ball even. Right. Right. Like, right. The, so it it's was the, a that drive row. So yeah. it was a fluke formation gimmicky going all the way down. And I personally don't like it because I, you know, we talked about this against UTSA that having James empty suit up, but then not play was kind of sends the message of, Oh, we know we're going to win this. So we don't need to try as much. This kind of is the flip of that where yep. Spavadol basically told his team you're not good enough to hang with them. So we're going to do this weird thing that we've never done before and nobody else in college football does this because it's like high schools do it as like a trick fun package and nobody really does this And but we're going to pull it out just for this game because basically sends a message of we don't think you can score enough points to play against them and so we're gonna have to do this uh, it's yeah, not a, you're not gonna we're not gonna win this game so we better be gimmicky in order right. to do it. and it's not and like, it's not even a trick play right like a trick play can happen but this was a full series and then they continue to go back to it right and, and then when they, they went were, back to it it was frustrating it down and so yes they could have taken a timeout if it was against another team like if it was against boise state maybe they would have burned a timeout on the first Drive if of the they game. didn't, if they didn't have the confidence that they were going to march down the field the next four drives and score touchdowns, right, then they probably would have. And so, but in this sense, Texas State is running tempo. They're so they're you know they're prohibiting BYU from subbing out, and it was a funny looking formation. And yeah, they they marched down the field, but let's not forget. That it was. It was a fluke play where BYU had them off the field. They had them a third on seventeen, third and seventeen, and that should have been an incomplete pass. It tipped off the hands of a receiver and into the other guy. Like it happens. It sucks, right. but it happened. Like that's how BYU beat uh, Utah State several years ago with Riley Nelson coming in for Jake Heaps, right? Like it right. was a freak play that it happened to fall into Marcus Matthews's hands in the end zone. That ball wasn't intended for Marcus Matthews but it worked. We, BYU won the game. This was a similar scenario that like freak things happen in football. That's why we love it. And right. that's what this was. This is a freak thing. And I think too, I mean, it's like, you can't, especially on defense, you can't prepare for everything, right? Like it's in an offense, you know what you're doing, everyone. Like you can draw up an offensive play and say, okay, this is exactly what you're going to do. Like you can just tell the receivers, like, this is like, you have this route, you have this route, you have this route, like you can read the four numbers on your route tree, call the formation, and then people just go out and do their job. And a lot of offenses do that. Like, that's what the air raid is, right? Like, you don't have split plays of what you're doing in an air raid or whatever. It's like, a lot of it is just the coach saying, this is what we want to do. Yep. Like in your mid-range game, like your cover two beaters, cover three beaters. You're just going to say like a lot of coaches, like in high things and two, like when you're in high school, we threw the ball. It was like, we would just say left to right, like you'd call the formation and then left to right read four numbers. And that was the, what route each of the eligible receivers were going to run. And so you just have to listen to the formation. No, I line up here and I'm going to go 10 yards and do this. Like, that's it. And for his defense, the more things you add and the more And so the more the opposing team does in terms of formation that you have to worry about, you have to think about things like you have to think, okay, am I supposed to line up with outside leverage or inside leverage on that guy? Am I supposed to be like, what happens if they come out in just a standard, like four wide and then motion to trips on the other side? Like, how does that change my assignment? Who do I have? If like, if you're in zone, then it's like, obviously that's you know, you're staying put there. But if you're in man, and you are supposed to have the second eligible receiver, now how does that switch if it flips to the other side? Like, do you have the tight end? Or does that mean now you become a rusher and you have to keep track of all that? And so the more things you have on, like, it's not like offense, where it's like, yes, you can have tons of different plays, because it's like, there's still only so many routes. And so you're doing the same thing over and over and over again for each player on defense, you have every single scenario, like everything is reactive. So because it's all reactionary, you have to know and figure out who is my responsibility. And that is constantly changing. And so you have to memorize a lot more to, I mean, obviously the quarterback has to know more, but in terms of like, like playing in coverage versus being a receiver, you have to know a lot more and memorize a lot more in terms of what's going on to play past coverage than to run a route and be a wide receiver. It's much more difficult. And I don't think people appreciate that. So there is the balance of, okay, well, how much new stuff do we want to throw in and how many looks do we want to have versus mastery? Because you can throw in and have every, you know, you can have a billion page long defensive playbook. But if guys get confused and leave huge gaping holes on one side of the field, then you're going to have a lot of problems. So one thing that I, you know, it's easy to, hear that and say well how did bronco mendenhall's defenses do it right because they were able to be successful and you mentioned position mastery and that was a phrase that bronco used all the time right position mastery and i think that that is maybe the biggest philosophical difference between elisa Tuiyaki and bronco mendenhall is elisa tuyaki Okay, let's start with Bronco. Bronco Mendenhall has his base defense. He's going to run a 3-4. He's going to have uber aggressive outside linebackers, and he is going to bring heat all the time. And he will try to force his will on the offense. Right. And no matter what type of offense BYU is playing or Bronco Mendenhall is playing, he's going to stay with his defense. It's always going to be that 3-4. And it works, right? But there are certainly games. I mean, we could go throughout history of Bronco Mendenhall. There are plenty of games where people are just begging and pleading for some sort of a change in scheme. Like TCU in 2011 comes to mind. That it was a game that a lot of a lot of BYU fans felt like. BYU could win that game in 2011. It was a late add to the schedule. It was at Cowboy Stadium. There was a lot of reason to think that BYU could have beaten TCU, but the defense never adjusted. The offense scored 28 points, which should have been, I mean, according to Bronco, should have been enough to win, but the defense gave up 38 in that game. So there's, I think, a lot of examples like that. Not a lot, but there's examples of where Bronco's scheme, the opponent had it figured out, and there was nothing that BYU could do to stop it at the time right like and certainly at virginia now you're seeing that this year as as broncos team is what one and four this year and looking at one and five after a game against north carolina this week as teams figure out that scheme and how to beat it they could continue to go to that well until they adjust now great this is not a bronco comparing is bronco better than a light that's not what this is this is just a philosophical comparison bronco runs his scheme no matter what Utah is another example. Kyle Whittingham runs his scheme no matter what. Last year, that bit them in the butt against USC. Yep. Right. They they lost to USC because they refused to play zone coverage and confuse a freshman quarterback. They continued to do what they were going to do, and that's man coverage on the outside and bring heat up the middle and pressure a quarterback. Well, USC is a air raid offense that just needed to get rid of the ball quick. That they don't even read the defense; they just throw to space, and they were able to torch utah every time utah plays washington state it was that same story when mike leach was up there that's why that particular offense was always really good against utah's defenses because they played their scheme now elisa tuyaki so going back to what you said of all of the different memorization of assignments and things like that there's a lot of complexity in elisa tuyaki's defenses and what oh, i hear that i don't know I that oh. What what I like about Elisa Tuiaki's defense is that he will match his defensive scheme on any given week up to what he thinks is the most effective for that offense. So sometimes that's going to be man coverage. And sometimes that's going to be four-man fronts. Sometimes that's going to be, hey, we're going to bring a lot more heat this week. Um, I think that BYU fans have a tendency to say, hey, look at, well, Boise State last year was a very different defense. That must have been Kalani. And I think that maybe Kalani had an influence, but I think it should have been a credit to Tuiaki that he said, hey, look, Boise State's starting their own new quarterback. We can get after him. That's what we need to do against that defense. But against USC last year, he said, hey, this quarterback, let, this offense is built differently. It isn't about just get your you know get your hands on Keaton Slova, Slovis. This is more about, hey, let's sit down and confuse him with our coverage because he's going to get the ball out so fast that sending heat isn't going to matter. He doesn't always get it right, right? I mean, that's the that's what makes football great is there is no set plan and nobody's right every single time. But philosophically, I've come to appreciate more this year because the games have been blowouts and I'm able to pay a little bit more attention without any emotion. But I've come to appreciate more how much thought goes into what BYU scheme is going to be on any given week and I do think that Tuiaki does a really good job of, of switching that up but that does create a, a very high level of uh, I guess a very high burden of responsibility for each of those individual defensive players because they're having to memorize different assignments every single week and that right. can be tough that could that that's hard. The staying power could be really difficult. That's why people have a base defense that they go to all the time. But Tuiaki does try to play matchups, and I think that's interesting. I I there's a whole lot more thought to the defense on any given week than than Tuiaki gets credit for. And I think, you know, it obviously it's a balance, and you just have to pick your poison of what you want to do and what your approach is going to be. And I think. A lot of it is, you know, sometimes we kind of conflate our perception with reality. And a lot of people say like, oh, we only, you know, we talked about this last week when we broke down what things actually looked like against, um, against Houston. And, you know, what the kind of defense was because people thought, oh, we just, you know, we dropped it every single play when really that was like less than 20% of the place, which is fine, right? Like, cause that is a, some variation. And so we, if you don't believe this, you can go back and watch, you know, there's go look on snap to tackle on YouTube and go back and watch different games and chart out how many guys were brought and what was happening. And, you know, at least from that front, And you can kind of see where things are at and what the percentages are in terms of man versus zone. It's really hard to tell without, I mean, if the other team is motioning um, then you can see more or, but without that, it's kind of hard to tell unless it is a big play that has a replay and you can kind of see what's going on because they don't, you know, I want more all 22 films. So if you have access to the BYU all 22 film and you are listening to this, please find a way to get it to us so we can watch it. And, you know, it's go back and rewatch it and document it and you will be surprised. And I remember you did this last year with the Utah game where people said, Oh, we just dropped date the entire game and got blown up. And then you went back through and tallied it up and we blitzed on like 40% of the plays and we very aggressive compared to even the baseline of what people thought would be normal it was like we were very aggressive in that game but just people like we don't have you don't watch things as closely on defense and because you're following the offense because you're following fun. the offense and so kind of you there's a lot of confirmation bias that yeah. unless you sit down and actually get a pen and paper and write down what's happening every single play you're not going to see it but I even mean, on saturday We saw that they went to zone, and actually, you know, one of the times that Texas State went back to that uh, Daffy Duck formation, they only kept two guys in, and they split people out and had nine guys playing zone to, you know, just be sitting there because you can't really do anything out of that formation besides run quick screens or run the ball. And so you have your backers in the middle over who have the soft zone and to run the ball, and then you have people outside to you have your defensive ends outside to hopefully shed the tackle and then tackle. You know, you have a few people there who can tackle the screen um, receiver, but that's it. Um, But, you know, as soon as they went back to their normal thing, then we were, you know, bringing pressure. We were playing more man defense and things are going on. So it really just depends week to week of what do you think you can do? in terms of getting pressure or confusing what have other teams done and what has that quarterback played a lot against in their other games? What do they have at their skill positions, what they can do, who are their offensive linemen? And, you know, is it, you know, if there is a really, really good offensive line, then is it worth it to do it? Because if you don't, you know, if you don't think you're going to get favorable matchups in the offensive line, then are you just wasting a guy who could be playing coverage or doubling their best receiver? So there's a lot of things that go into it. And it is a collaborative effort week to week from the entire defensive staff, even though, and similar to like what we talked about with the offensive play calling, you know, it's a collaborative effort with the entire defensive staff of What are we doing? What's happening on this play? What do you think needs to happen? Okay, we'll do this. And if Kalani wants to say, Oh, like, you know, do this, then that will happen. If, but it's not, you know, he may call a specific play, but it's going to be like, Hey, next drive, let's do this okay, that's what we'll call. And there's not one perfect play call for every single play, especially like on offense, right? Well, on defense, you have fewer play calls because it's more reactionary and it's more micro assignments within that of what you're going to do if the offense presents different things. But on offense, like, you know, there's on every play, there's not one perfect play call because any good play, like you're going to have, okay, you're going to have some part of the path, like the route tree on that a route combination on that play part of it will be designed to like be to cover three. One side will be designed to be cover two. And you're going to look and say, okay, depending on what the defense shows, this is what I'm going to go first. And so you have multiple options on every single play as it is. And it's not one single thing. And that, that was one thing about Broncos defenses that even still, like we talk about play calling as a defensive coordinator and well, Tuiaki struggles with play calling Kalani must be play calling or whatever. Like that was one thing that like you, you kind of hit it on the head. It, it, it's so reactionary that Bronco, I mean, he had play calls. Of course he did, but Bronco's defenses, it was pretty much the same every time they were going to sit in zone defense, cover your zone, no matter what the offense is doing. The secondary is going to sit in their zone unless we draw up a special blitz for a corner, but you're going to sit in your zone and play zone coverage and I can't tell you how many times did we hear BYU fans beg and plead to not give receivers a 10 yard cushion. Well, that was what they did on every play and the linebackers were going to come and try to get to the quarterback. They could stunt if they wanted to, if that was what they read, they could just try to beat them with a speed rush off the edge, but that was really what the defense was. And then just go to the ball. Once the ball moves past the line of the scrimmage, go to the ball. And that was Bronco's defense. I mean, obviously there's more nuance and that's a very much an oversimplification, but that was what Bronco taught. People forget that in the early days of Bronco Mendenhall, he actually didn't even talk about assignments. When he came on as a coordinator at BYU and Gary Coton was still the head coach, they talked about that, that Bronco just wanted aggressive defense. Even more than specific assignments and specific plays, Bronco just wanted to see his defense be aggressive and try to make plays and that led to what Broncos defense was it's worked out really well as long as you have the right players in the right spots and, and so that's great but I do think that uh, that it was a very simple defense in terms of what a player had to do and now BY's defenders are having to think a lot more than I think they they had to previously and I think that plays a role <laughs> into some of the uh, kind of the I don't want to call them misconceptions, but really some of the biases that people think or people have when they watch a Tuiaki defense go out on the field. Yep. So I mean that's really that's that's our show for today. Um, we had our philosophical. Well, hold on. I I have one more rant. Okay. I made a tweet. <laughs> I made a tweet like I accomplished something. I tweeted that Kalani Sataki needs a contract extension. Oh. Yes. And he needs a contract extension. Let me tell you why. Because when you're undefeated six games into the season and you're ranked in the top 10, top 11, you get a contract extension. I'm having people in my replies. A lot of people agree. This isn't everybody. But I'm having a lot of people in my replies that are saying, well, Kalani shouldn't ask for an extension. I didn't say Kalani should ask for an extension. I said Kalani should be given an extension. I have other people say, well, they, you shouldn't do it until the end of the year because if he loses to Boise, blah, 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 blah. No, if you are a football team, especially like BYU, and you are ranked, then fine, do it at the end of the year. But even if he loses to Boise, unless he loses out, Kalani Sataki needs a contract extension. There's a lot of reasons for that. We, we talked, talked about it's going now, especially too, because people, especially for the position coaches will all have offers across the board. There will be phone calls, everybody interest, and you yeah. need to get more money coming in to say, Hey, Eric Mateos, what's it going to cost? Like they're talking to you, Kentucky's talking to you. What's going to cost for you to say, Hey, let me Genal tell you Guilford, Preston Hadley, you know, like yeah. guys are going to be getting phone calls and we need to keep. Aaron Roderick, and Fessy Satake, and Eric Mateos on the staff collectively that right year. And let me tell you, so last year when BYU was struggling, the idea was that, hey, recruits don't know if Kalani Satake is going to be there next year. You need to give him a contract extension after the USC win, right? After the Tennessee win. I contend that it is the exact same argument today, but for very different reasons. Recruits don't know. Siaki Ika does not know if Kalani Sataki will be at BYU next year because he's six and zero and ranked number eleven in the country. He's going to have attention. There are going to be people who are calling him. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't get a P5 job. Maybe there. Maybe you could gamble and say there's not going to be anybody who opens up a P5 job next year. I kind of think that there will be more coaching carousel than people are projecting at this point i think that boosters still have money so rich people who have always paid for coaches and paid for wins still have money they still want wins so that demand is not going to change so athletic departments are still going to feel the same amount of pressure from boosters to find a guy who can win now so i think that there's still going to be plenty of movement i mean unless seasons were getting full-on canceled i think you're going to see movement Kevin Sumlin only has, what, six, seven games at Arizona this year to prove that, hey, he's turned that program around. If Arizona goes two and five or one and five, whatever, however many games they have, he will be fired. Arizona will be looking for a head coach. I don't know what UCLA's situation is, but Chip Kelly has sucked. If Chip Kelly continues to suck, there's going to be a lot of rich people in Los Angeles saying, I want wins. This is UCLA. Like, there's still going to be movement. Schools are cash strapped, there's no question about it. But boosters, like we've heard it at every democratic debate for the last year, rich people have made more money during COVID, like the rich people who are funding these programs are continuing to fund these programs. Ryan Smith in this climate was able to do away with one and a half billion dollars today because rich people still have money, like they could still do what they wanna do. I think there's going to be a tension and I think that recruits don't know if Kalani Satake will be there next year. I don't know that a contract extension really changes that, but it goes a long ways to say, Hey, look, he's committed and we're committed to him.
1: And it also makes
0: BYU more money because if he does leave then the buyout, because there's one extra multiple extra years on the contract, the buyout will be larger. So if he were to go, you get him the contract now. And if he does go, then Kyle Whittingham gets a contract extension every year. A lot of coaches until do. He, where yeah, it's just, it's until, a rolling. You get one year, you hit some goals, then they add one more year to you, the back of your contract with exactly. it's a X percent increase every year and X Y percent for your salary pool and everyone yep. can stay happy. And that's just how college football works, folks. I think that BYU fans, probably because we were spoiled by Lavelle, who never left, who and then we had Croton, who it wasn't even really his on-field performance that led to his dismissal. It was the -the off-the-field stuff. And then he had Bronco, who was willing to stick around for a decade. BYU fans really have never been a part of that coaching carousel, but this is how it works in college football. Like You get extensions when you do well, when you meet goals. If we want to wait till the end of the year, fine, but Kalani needs to know that there's an extension coming at the end of the year So that when he goes to Siaki Ika's house, he could say, hey, man, I want you in our program for next year because I think that you could replace Kairos Tonga. And look, I just got extended again. Because I could tell you, I have very, very good knowledge that in my conversations with people today, one of the concerns that Siaki Ika has is whether or not Kalani will be there next year. If a P5 school comes calling, does he go? That might still be the same, right? Even with a contract extension, maybe there's still that same risk out there that it's just too much money for Kalani to pass by, but a contract extension at least helps give them a talking point. It helps show that, hey, we're committed to him. We think he's committed to us, but yeah, we're committed to Kalani. Look, that's just what college football is, right? Like there are extensions when you do well and BYU is doing better today than they have in any year since a brief moment in 2009 and really 2001. Like, BYU is better today, and we can blame the circumstances. We can say an easy schedule, whatever. Kalani Sataki needs to be extended. Maybe it's only a year. I don't care what the raise is, but do what you can. Don't expect that you have Lavelle Edwards, who's going to just sit there. Do what you can to make a guy happy before somebody else comes and forces your hand like think about that in our own personal careers i make whatever i i if i make $50,000 at my job and somebody comes to me and says hey jeff i'll pay you $75,000 to come work for me well now i know that hey i'm worth $75,000 those guys who were only giving me 50 were taking advantage of me if they come back to me and say hey we want to keep you. We'll raise your $50,000. we will pay you seventy five, like they're offering you. I'm not going to take that because you didn't value me until somebody else valued me. It's this reactionary, like, now I'm going to leave, right? Well, if my company were to come to me and say, hey, Jeff, I'll give you sixty five dollars or $70,000, I probably am not even applying to go and find that $75,000 job, right? Because I'm happy, because I know that I'm valued. It's the same idea for Kalani Sataki. Like BYU needs to show that they are invested in him. I get it. There was an extension just a year ago. It's time for another one. And like, I think he is... does not My read on Kalani is that he doesn't care about the money. I think with him, time would be an extension for him, and he wants he would want more money for his assistants. I think he wants. To, he wants to take care of everybody else in the coop and not like he doesn't care about you know getting an extra $200,000 himself. Cause he, you know, he already gives his money very freely to causes he believes in. He helps out people left and right. He is extremely set. Like he is living the American dream being an immigrant from a tiny island, very poor country. And he is very comfortable with his lifestyle and the amount of money that he has. And he wants, I think he wants to make sure more than anything else, if you want to keep Kalani there say we got an extra, quarter million dollars a year for your assistant pool that i think would be and we're going to add two years onto your contract that keeps kalani in place i agree something needs to happen right and maybe it's just something i don't know i just look at college football so much differently than i look at everything else like the idea that last year it was he's got to earn his extension well if six and oh and ranked you know in the top 10 in the country isn't earned then I don't know. I don't know what the man has to do. So let's be a little proactive, BYU. Maybe wait till the end of the year. Fine, I don't care. Like I'm not saying it has to happen today, but I think that those conversations internally at BYU and with Kalani directly do need to be happening today. So that's my last little rant before we wrap this up with our picks for the week. But that is, I just it, it has to happen, and I feel like fans can help push for that boosters join the Cougar club. We can help push for things like that, that say, Hey, we like our guy, let's keep our guy. And then if the, you know, if he gets fired, like that's what college football is. Right. And that's the experience that BYU fans haven't really had to have over the last 40 years is that if he sucks, you fire him. Like, yeah, I get it. Like nobody wants to pay a buyout, but welcome to college football folks. Like nobody's contracts are just expiring and not renewed. You have to play the game that everybody else is playing. And this is the game that everybody plays. Right. And if you need a buyout, then that's because the big boosters who want a new coach and you say, okay, well then it's going to cost this much. So you either pony up or we get him for another two years and they will pay up. The money is there. It's not a problem. Yep. You play the game that everybody plays. Like that's, that's the game we're playing. You can't play it differently. Otherwise you're going to be left behind. So I'm, I'm there. Let's move into our picks, Garrett. Um, We did okay last week, all things considered. You were 5-2. I was 4-2. The only difference was you picked Notre Dame. I thought Pitt might sneak up on them, and the Irish came back with a vengeance. We both had Bama. We both missed out on Miami, and we both had Houston, Boise, and BYU, and then Michigan curb stomped Minnesota. Um, But we have a Which upsets me because it feels like, man, BYU could have maybe beat Minnesota. Yeah. I think we could have beat Minnesota. We could have beat Michigan state. We think we probably would be Arizona state. Um, that yeah, would have been, a could have, could have been a big year. Could have yeah. been a big year. Um, so North Carolina is a seven point favorite at Virginia. I am taking the Tar Heels. I just don't see it from Virginia this year. I know they played Miami closer than they have in the past than we expected them to last week, but Sam Howell is playing extremely well right now. And I think, the fight and Mac Browns are going to pull away. I have not seen anything from Virginia this year that makes me think they can stop anything that North Carolina will do offensively. So uh, I'm heels, seven point spread right now. I like North Carolina big. Uh, next game, the Charlotte 49ers are a nine and a half point favorite, which this opened at, or nine and a half point dog. This opened up at 11 and moved in their favor on the road at duke this is a rescheduled game that was supposed to be their opener back in september or last week of august um i don't know on this one you know i i think that charlotte could do it they've had a lot of games canceled this year this the line obviously the money thinks that it's in their favor the computer models think that they will cover this and only project duke by about 5 so that's a significant gap there um but i think they could get amped for this game and you know they had have had four games canceled because of COVID and I, they were lucky to get this one back and I think they can go up the road to Durham. And I don't know, I don't think they'll win outright, but I could see it being a three or seven point game. Uh, I like Duke big, man. I just, I I can't get on board the 49er bandwagon with you. I think that Duke was bigger, better, faster, stronger, all of the above. I mean, that's probably true, but you know, is what it is. Um, We have, Cincinnati is a, a six and a half point favorite at home against the Memphis Tigers. Um, after what Cincinnati did last week to SMU, and after Memphis, you know, they, Memphis knocked off UCF and then their best or their top receiver opted out of the rest of the season. So they've already had multiple. And they already had multiple people, you know, skipping out on the year and focusing on the draft or transferring. So I don't see Cincinnati getting stopped, but this is going to be a close game because for the last, you know, five, really since the American was formed, this has been a very like contested game between these two. And they've got a good rivalry going And but I I'm taking the Bearcats on this one. Uh, I'm going to bet with my heart, not with my head. My head says you're absolutely right. My heart really wants to see Cincinnati lose, and this might be the last chance we get to see that. So I'm going with Memphis. I am all in on the Tigers this week with all of my heart, might, mind, and strength. And I would encourage all of our BYU fan listeners to do the same so that uh, BYU can be the highest ranked non-P5. The high swing on P five, but we want to iterate reiterate that that has zero impact on an NY six game. Just it doesn't. The sake of but being, it looks better it for those. Looks, out in our- yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Ohio State is a twelve point favorite on the road at Penn State. Obviously, Penn State lost last week. That was kind of the this is the reverse of what we talked about the UTSA game where it was close, but the win probability was BYU dominated UTSA. Penn State, everything on paper. Knocked the crap out of Indiana, but somehow managed to lose in overtime. That was a bad loss, and so I think that line is bigger because of both of that and the fact that Justin Fields played extremely, extremely well on Saturday. So I think I, being at home, I think I'm taking Penn State in this one. Twelve is a lot. I agree. It's- Penn State. Uh, Penn State played much better than the score reflected at the end of the game. And Ohio State, while Justin Fields was phenomenal, Ohio State does not have J.K. Dobbins anymore. They don't have a Zeke Elliott in that backfield anymore. They struggled running the ball. And I think think Ohio State wins. I think Penn State covers. And this is another one that if Penn State pulls off the upset, I think BYU fans, we need to be cheering for Ohio State because if Penn State pulls off that upset, then they are in the conversation for another at-large bid. Right. If we assume that one of them goes to the college football playoff or at least takes the Big Ten spot in the uh, New Year Six games, then I think that the other one, if they both have one loss and and maybe two losses even if it's all – I don't know how it's all going to work in COVID. But if they only have one loss and then they meet again, um, they play Wisconsin or whatever in the conference championship game, Penn State could easily jump BYU. Long story and a lot of rambling, Penn State could jump BYU. I think a two-loss Penn State stays behind BYU as long as BYU wins. So I I think BYU fans should want Ohio State to win, but I do think that um, Penn State covers this one. Amen. Um, San Diego State is a a 7.5-point favorite on the road in Utah State. I didn't see anything from Utah State last week to excite me about what Gary Anderson is doing up there. Jason Shelley did not look good. They're running back like their Jay Warren didn't look great. DHC was their third running on their offense. they really don't have a lot going on. I don't think they're going to do much against San Diego state. And I mean, yes, it is Brady Hoke, not Rocky long at the helm, but I just did not see anything from Utah state to make me think this is going to be anything besides a 14 point San I, Diego state win. I think the Aggies really suck this year bad. So San Diego state big TCU is a two and a half point favorite on the road at baylor tcu has been up and down and they have struggled a lot as they've tried to go more air raid this season and their defense has given up a lot of big plays which is uncharacteristic but they've run the ball well and baylor has not stopped the run at all i mean it's it's a rivalry game it's basically a home game like waco's not that far from dallas and i two and a half points is basically like betting straight up who's going to win, right? Like it's, I think TCU wins by at least a field goal. I don't know enough about either of these teams. I know I like Dugan, the quarterback at TCU. Um, I think just so that we can have a different record, I'm going to pick Baylor. But that is based off of zero knowledge and zero insight. That's just based off of when I don't know, give me the points. Fair enough. Texas is a three and a half point dog at Oklahoma State. I don't think Tom Herman is the answer, and Oklahoma State is playing really well right now, and Spencer Sanders is going to be back at quarterback for the Cowboys. Well, okay. I mean, that's odd. that's very specific, and I love the confidence there. This is another one, kind of like the Memphis game for me. Uh, BYU fans, we really, 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 really want Oklahoma State to lose. You want to keep the Big 12 out of the college football playoff at all costs. If, if we want to have BYU in the New Year Six, you cannot have the Big 12 in the playoff. Because if the Big 12 gets into the playoff, then they're also going to send a second team to the Which Cotton Bowl. could be ranked like number like 15th. 15th. Yeah. I mean, it could be two-loss Oklahoma or three-loss Texas, right? So if you're a BYU fan, you want to see the Big 12 get left out of the playoff. And then the only auto bid that goes to the Big 12 is that winner, potentially Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma still still plays at Oklahoma. They still play uh, – let's see, they beat Iowa State. I think they still play Kansas State. They already beat Kansas State. I can't remember. They still play Oklahoma. They still got some tough games on the schedule. But this is an opportunity that uh, they could fall, and I think when those opportunities come up, we've got to cheer big as BYU fans for that to happen i'm all in on texas okay i want to have the faith that you have but mizzou is a 13 point underdog on the road at florida yeah this one's this one's the same i mean we really as byu fans want mizzou to win but i just don't see it no well I mean, winning and covering are different things, It's true. I don't see it. 15 points. I haven't watched Mizzou at all. Um, I mean, 13 points is a lot, but I haven't watched Mizzou at all this year to know. Um, But the line has moved in Mizzou's favor. So going on that, uh, I mean, it still is in the swamp. They are going to have... More people there because it's in Florida. I'm going to go with Florida. Yeah, me too. Florida on that one. Uh, I want to take Mizzou as well, but I just can't do it. And then our final line, Western Kentucky, that is officially a 29 point line uh, at BYU. I think Western Kentucky, I think that this line could be like 45, and I'd still be very, very hard for me to not pick BYU. Yeah, I think. You know, it's so many points, but until BYU proves this wrong that they won't consistently do it, I mean, really, it's outside of the uh, UTSA game. it's They've blown past the line every time. Yeah, Cougars, so, Cougars are 5-1 against the spread. If you're just laying money on the Cougars, you, you've made a lot of money this year. So Until they I'm prove it wrong. A- and you, Western Kentucky being a very similar team to Texas State, a similar team to a Louisiana Tech or a Troy, that we demolished all of those. I think this could very well be another, you know, forty-nine yep. to fourteen game. I agree. So I'm yeah. in on BYU. So that's our show. Those are our picks. Um, depending on how the game goes on Saturday, well, it's Halloween. We may or may not be back with a post-game interview if it's like Saturday night where we score to go up in the basically the scoring was done with ten minutes left in the third quarter. Maybe we'll do a fourth quarter post game interview. I don't know. Yeah, uh. if I I will commit to this because I'm not sick. If BYU runs a fake point a fake punt with like a 35 point lead, we will do a post game show. Okay, there no matter go. what time it is, I promise you that there might be more. We might still do one even without the fake punt, but I can promise you that if BYU runs a fake punt with a 35 point lead, we will do a post game show. You know, I will hold you to it. And until then, give them hell, Bergam. Give them hell.